0: Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey, guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey. Thank you for letting me be a part of your journey. This is going to be an amazing interview with a gentleman I just became friends with, an amazing book I couldn't put down once I picked it up. We're going to be talking about inflation, why it's bad. We're going to be talking about everything inflation and economics, so I want to say thank you, Nathan, my brother. What's going on? How are you doing today? Hey, Richard. It's good to be here. So tell us a little bit about, your son, about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up.
1: Um, I'm I'm kind of an economist in the ancient tradition. i kind of a gentleman economist, uh, which means that uh, I don't come from the typical academic path, uh, but um, I'm also kind of not really like a business economist, if you know what I mean. Um I spent many years doing that kind of like the heavy duty research, wrote four books about economics before my fifth book, Inflation, which is now out. Um, and, uh, for, for a while it was, it was structured as a, as a think tank 501 C three and, and, uh, did that kind of stuff full time. I've also been involved in asset markets in various forms for uh, more than 15 years. I guess, I guess it's been about 20 years now, um, investing at the, maybe the institutional level or professional level. So that's kind of where I come from. And and it's been a real good training, um, because, uh, just as you would expect, um, people who are not involved in the economy, whether investing or in business, uh, like most academics, kind of, (laughs) kind of a very poor grasp of the, of the world, uh, the economic world. And they, and they just kind of have no practical experience in these things, like being witness to important economic events. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I bring to the table. Um, so but
0: what kind of kid were you that all, did you just wake up one day and be like,
1: I want to be an economist or well, what was
0: what were some of your passions?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend this. Uh, <laughs> uh, being a, a gentleman economist, you know, not a, not a professional of some sort um, is kind of like being a poet. Although the dollars and the numbers involved are probably even smaller. Like, you know, if you could probably identify 10 poets, you probably identify you know, five economists. <laughs> so, um, but nevertheless, I, it's something that I felt like I've had a destiny to do for a long time, although not when I was younger, oddly enough. Um, I had the basic skills uh, that are involved which involves a kind of like a certain amount of numeracy, kind of a scientific, not scientific, like real technical, but scientific method, right? Asking questions, developing hypotheses, kind of mindset um, early on, uh, because a lot of economics is is kind of like dogma. It's kind of, you know, like religious, similar to religious dogma in that it's not complete fantasy. It's based in arguably, you know, some kind of um has some some truth to it but it tends to be institutionalized and it becomes more about conformity than conformity with institution rather than conformity with the world outside the window <laughs> and so uh uh you know I, I have a I have a personality that likes to destroy dogma or you know get out of, get out of the rut it's like well this guy's you know, all these guys say that I, I I've, I've done this pattern I've done this pattern over and over and um it's kind of kind of actually my personality long before I was involved in economics, I would, I could go to anything like almost any activity, any endeavor, whether it be bass fishing or, you know, construction, or, uh, you know, (laughs) engineering or something like that. And, uh, I could listen to it, you know, kind of like straight off the street, just listen to it while they say, well, first there's a, then there's B and then there's C and then there's F. And I say, no, nope, that doesn't make sense. Do that A, B, C, F. This is what's in the textbook. This is what I learned. This is what everybody else thinks. A, B, C, F. is like no, it can't be that way. You can't get from C to F. <laughs> and they're like look at you, like, how long you've been involved in this? You know, I've been doing this for 30 years. How long? Well, two weeks. But sorry, you can't get from C to F you made a mistake. I don't know what the mistake is yet, but clearly there's something there. And, and it'd be, it'd be like a loose tooth, right? I wouldn't know what it is. I didn't, didn't know deed existed. But I start to I start to wiggle the tooth and, and find out something and say, see this, you missed this, you missed the D. And it's funny, because I could, you know, I could go into something which, you know, I really didn't know much about, but just listening to it, just listening to their explanations, like, No, you can't get there from there, you know. And so I, I often do the same thing in economics um so you know, that's like, kind of my that's kind of my personality let's say <laughs> and,
0: you know I find you know when I talk to a lot of people that are involved in economics um you know money is a very personal subject um For me I grew up my parents said always said we can't afford it um and so my and i ne- I was never even taught how to balance a checkbook until I bounced a few and I got locked up for writing bad checks, but, you know, and but it's a very personal subject and a lot of people don't want to talk about money or they just want to complain about money.
1: Correct? Uh, yeah. And, and in their, in their personal lives too. And uh, all the, you know, people talk about personal finance and just personal sound, personal financial habits and so forth and how these aren't taught to people and so forth. Uh, and that's true, and and it can and it can go on and on and on. And unfortunately, we we live in kind of like an overcomplicated society where not only are people not taught these things, but a lot of people, you know, you could say it's actually a way that people are taking advantage of, you know, usury, you know, interest, for example. Um, yeah, people don't want to people don't want to talk about it.
0: And <laughs> yeah, but but now also, I had Sharon Lecter on here. She was co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And we oh, yeah. were talking about people, you know, because we have these little phones, these smartphones, people are not getting any smarter. I mean, people, <laughs> don't, they don't really look up subjects of money, inflation, economics. So they're not really putting in the work either to try to figure this stuff out.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it, it has undoubtedly gotten much worse. You know, well, the Internet when that came out in 19, you know, mid nineties, that kind of, to some degree had a similar effect. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, all this stuff where it scrolls, right. Just people's attention spans got super short and uh, consequently they don't learn anything about anything. Um, it's, it's been said if you read the three good books about any subject, you know, more than most experts, (laughs) right. Because, uh, it's probably not true, but, but you can, you know, get get an idea of how many how much many books people actually read. You can get a, you can get a quite a lot of advantage just from reading something, if it's good. Yeah.
0: And they do say that the average successful CEO reads about fifty or sixty books a year, and that's including reading or audible. So I think like um, you know readers are leaders. You know what I mean? And and Elon Musk is one of those guys that just sucks up books like they're going out of style.
1: Uh, yeah, well I read a lot of books, as you can see behind here. And uh, I, 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 you know, I think I think when people have these these big numbers, because I know Elon Musk is very busy, that they don't necessarily read it cover to cover, but they buy it and they and they, they involve themselves enough with it to kind of get something out of it. It might might only be 10 percent, but the most important 10 percent. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I would say it's particularly true. I'm I'm now a homeschooler. I have a 10 year old. And so you think about these things and yeah, you should read things. Um, Anybody should, if it's, and if it's 10 books, not 50, uh, that's pretty good. Anyway, we're now, I I just read from some professor. He says he he teaches at a top 20 university, right? Just imagine a top 20 universities in the United States and students in his class, all, you know, selected for their excellence. He says, you know, three four three quarters of them have never actually read a book for school. Wow. Uh, I say, what? <laughs> and a lot of them these days don't read books for fun. So uh, not only should you do it in general, but if you do it just a little bit, you're going to have a big advantage over the graduates of the top 20 universities in the United States. <laughs> okay. So then
0: you, know, you you got a brand new book that just came out with, with Mr. Steve Forbes. And I, I, I love it. Uh, I, I'm absorbing it. I'm about three quarters of the way through and I'm going to read it again. So first question, it says right on the cover. What is what actually is inflation for people that don't know that are watching?
1: Inflation. Yes, we've had a lot of trouble with this principle or problems. It's not a principle over the last 70 years. And one of the problems is is that uh, this word kind of comes up from popular speech and it has something to do with rising prices, and it's kind of just thrown around willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, people say, "Oh, there's inflation in housing prices." Well, that just means housing prices are going up, right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, and not only in on the personal level, but but on the national level, we've had a lot of trouble uh, avoiding stupid problems. Uh, you know, inflation problems. And also when they, if they do come up to fix them, um, particularly in 1970s, that, that was kind of a, a, a textbook example of wall-to-wall incompetence. Uh, people have gotten a little better, but it's still pretty bad. So yeah, we wrote this book and, and it's a book where we really wanted to forget about the, you know, intellectual class, because they don't want to learn anything. They want to, you know, They want to teach you what they think they know Uh, uh, and reach kind of right directly to uh, the average American, the the typical household uh, who is wondering what the heck's going on. Uh, And and so we we, first, we wanted to divide things into two categories. One is there's all kinds of influences on prices that can make prices go up, which are non-monetary. So this is basically just kind of some kind of supply demand thing, right? Supply demand for Bitcoin, whatever it is, supply and demand for uh, all the, you know, we have all these supply issues right now. Supply demand for chicken on the shelves at supermarket, um, driving prices up, supply and demand for labor. It's a very t- tight labor market. And I think we all kind of understand those things. And, and it's, you don't have to explain it too much, but those are real. Um, inflation is not all only a monetary phenomenon um, as it is properly conceived. And then we wanted to get into the monetary side. And this is actually a lot simpler, I think, than people make it out. Uh, now this has nothing to do with supply and demand It's just your currency. It's just the central bank, uh, goofing around. Cause we know we have floating fiat currencies. We know they just make stuff up as they go along. And from time to time, the currency, our currency, other people's currency loses value. The value goes down and you can see this in the foreign exchange market, for example, yeah. and it's a real simple principle uh when the value of a currency goes down as as one might see in a foreign in the foreign exchange market uh then it takes more currency to buy things eventually not right away right uh but um in the book we use the example of the mexican peso we mm-hmm. in, the, in the 90s the peso was worth about 3 pesos to the dollar now it's about 20 pesos to the dollar so it's like you know 6 to 1 devaluation depreciation over time and guess what prices in mexico went up uh, you know 6 times or, or more During that period, I hope that's obvious. Well, the same thing is happening to us, basically. Um, We also have a floating fiat currency uh, like Mexico. We also have a central banker guy who makes stuff up as he goes along like Mexico. And and like Mexico, from time to time, our currency loses value, too. That's basically what's going on.
0: Well, you know, and a lot of people, because, I mean, I'm I'm 53. So um, I grew up thinking, you know, we still have gold in Fort Knox. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that. Once we got taken off the gold standard, our money means absolutely shit. It's you can just print as much as you want. I think they said something like eighty percent of the money that has been printed has been printed in the last tw- two years.
1: So <laughs> yeah, okay, not yeah.
0: really mean much at all. It's, yeah, it's- well, it's
1: about fifty percent, but that's not what? a bad number. Yeah, they in in twenty in twenty twenty especially and around that time, in in the response to COVID uh, there was enormous amount of money creation. So the federal reserve created about $3 trillion. I mean, just in the old days, they would like, you know, actually print money on paper. And, and that's not really done in the first instance anymore. Um, but that's it's essentially the same process. And that's what they did. And, and certainly what we're experiencing now, part of that is the outcome of that, uh, of that, uh, and for various technical reasons, a lot of that was actually sort of absorbed. The the effects were not as great as many people expected. Um, and there's good reasons for that. But one of the reasons why we decided, you know, 2021 is like, you know, we're gonna have to write a book about this because if they try this again, uh, it could be very nasty. Um, we, we're in Washington getting very used to this idea of, well, we could just print money and spend it and It's a big party. Well, if they try that again, I think there could be some pretty dire consequences.
0: Yep. All right. So before we head on, I want to thank our sponsors, Operation Veteran Freedom. If you're a veteran and want to start a business, especially digital company, Operation Veteran Freedom can help you out. Get get your products like books, eBooks, get it out in the world. Um, So if you're a veteran, you want to start a business, check out OVF. But now going back to your book, the second part, what is the bad of inflation?
1: Yeah, why is inflation bad? Because a lot of economists kind of say it's good, right? We have this like 2% inflation target. Well, you know, what's up with that? Um, and it's real simple to understand uh, if you just think about your current your, your currency declining in value, much as Mexico's currency has declined in value. What you know, what happened to the Mexican worker when the currency went from over, over a period of time, over 30 years went from three to 20 to the dollar, right? Well, obviously the, the money that they're being paid to work, you know, guy works in an auto parts factory, gets his paycheck on Friday or whenever it is, it's worth less You're from year to year. And that's kind of what's happening to us too. Well, we have to go out and, you know, make more money nominally, get a raise or whatever, uh, just to keep even, just to kind of, um, you know, we're just on a treadmill catching up with the steady not steady, but intermittent decline in our currency's value, just like the Mexican, they had, they had, you know, it's worse for them, but we have the same basic process. So, you know, this is something that every American should understand and, and that we used to have in the United States, a stable value policy with the value of the dollar wasn't supposed to go down ever. It was tied to gold. And that yeah. was the best way to approximate having kind of a fixed value for the dollar. Um, and we did that for almost 200 years. And you didn't have this problem of you're getting paid in a currency that from time to time goes down in value. Uh, that's why, you know, if you got a 10% raise, it was a real 10%, right? You really got 10% more money and you weren't on a treadmill trying to catch up with last year's currency depreciation like we are now today. Um, and as a consequence of that, we in the United States became the wealthiest country in the history of the world. It was a very successful policy. And since 1960, since we left the gold standard, uh, I wrote three books about the gold standard. By the way, so that's, that's right. where I, I got it from. <laughs> I like this topic. Uh, since uh, we left the gold standard in 1971, um, I estimate the value of the dollar today is about one-fiftieth of what it was worth uh, during that time. We have basically have a two-cent dollar, and there's a risk that that process of that long, slow process of deterioration could become a, a you know short, quick process of deterioration over the next five or 10 years if they uh, continue this money printing business.
0: So then the, th- the third part of your book. Uh, so what do we do about it? What can we, as average Joe, you know, Joe Snuffy, what do we, what can we do to help guard ourselves against inflation?
1: Um, well, I think I'll, I'll talk about, you know, first of all, kind of on the public policy level, because we should understand this. We kind of like, you know, general Americans should understand this. If inflation or, you know, rising prices is the outcome of a decline in currency value, it follows on afterwards, you know, months or years afterwards, then the solution is real simple. You just have to stop the currency from falling any further. And, and eventually prices will kind of adjust and, and level out and, and adjust to the new value of the currency. You could even raise the value of the currency a little bit, but that becomes a little tricky. And um, it's, this is actually real easy. Um, I'll give you an example, many people, um, are aware that there was a hyperinflation in Germany in the early 1920s and um, where prices were going up, you know, 20% a day and, you know, 30, you know, factor of 30 in a month. And it's kind of like really crazy, out of control stuff. And eventually things kind of, they got to the point where they said, you know, we simply have to stop this. And they assigned a guy, they found a good guy. His name was Hjalmar Schatz. Yeah. And they gave him the job of fixing it. And he did it. He fixed it. The hyperinflation in Germany ended and Germany returned to a gold standard currency. And there was no inflation in the space of one week. On Monday, there's hyperinflation. On Friday, it's over. So you can fix these things that fast. You don't need to like, you know, years and years and years (laughs) to do it. Uh, And that's good to keep in mind. It's just a currency thing. You stabilize the value of currency. You fix the problem. But don't you think like,
0: I don't care which people, would, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, whatever. Um, but I believe that we have to say, okay, here's the problem. We got to fix No, And we can't blame it on Putin. We can't blame it on COVID. We just got to take it and say, all right, this is where we're at. This is where we need to go. And I think once we have that Leader, or whoever whoever's even not president but could in charge of the, the finances, whenever we have somebody says, This is what we need to do, this is how we need to get there, don't you see that we don't have that kind of leadership right now?
1: Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, and um, one of the things that I think maybe you know, we can, we talking today, and, and my and the book that I recently came out with, and, and, and these things. We can do is to, you know, establish in our minds the principle that we want a currency that's stable in value. We don't want, you know, when whenever there's some kind of problem, the Federal Reserve just prints money all over the place, right? This kind of stuff. We want a currency that's stable in value, and um, this can be achieved kind of in the in the context of a floating fiat currency. And Paul Volcker and Alan Greenspan, sort of, roughly, crudely, approximately, did achieve that in the 80s and 90s. But the problem is, it's not. It's not institutionalized. It's just kind of, you know, we got lucky sort of, and, uh, but the, the, the broader, the bigger solution is to institutionalize it. And that's what the gold standard system did in the United States. Uh, we had it for almost 200 years, uh, two centuries up until 1971. And as long as we stuck with that principle, we never had inflation. And it also got really wealthy, <laughs> which is nice. The last year you know, it's 1960 decades was very successful. Um so we just imagine that you know we, yeah 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 we don't really want this you know federal reserve funny money crap anymore we want something that's reliable and the way you do it in history uh you know when the time comes when the time comes not for just provisional slapdash arguments but to lay down the foundation for decades of successful policy When that time comes, as it came in 1944, the Bretton Woods Agreement, when that time comes, yeah, I'd say, yep, this is what we want, and so let's get it.
0: But right now, I mean, honestly, like I've had a bunch of, uh, I love interviewing people about stuff that I don't know anything about. And I've had people come on and talk about crypto and NFTs. And it just seems like it's the Wild West out there. It's (laughs) just, uh, you get one hand, you want, you know, we want to have, our money stabilized, but then on the other hand, we want to buy something that nobody even understands who even owns it or started it. So it just seems like we're on two different <laughs> sides of the street, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, that, that that's kind of exemplary of, of what I'm talking about. Americans should understand more about this than they do. Uh, some of the aspects of crypto, such as having a sort of currency-like item, it's not really currency, it's kind of, but you could have a currency something very close to a currency. And there are now stable coin cryptocurrencies, which are much more closely approximating that you can have something that's independent of the federal reserve, you know, the federal government. Uh, You don't have to have currency, you know, government currency monopoly. You can have multiple, you can have multiple competing, uh, cryptocurrencies based on gold, or they can be based on something else. And you can compete, you know, well, my hot dog currency is better than your gold currency. Well, Let's see about that. <laughs> um, but you can do that. And in fact, you know, we didn't always have a Federal Reserve. Before 1913, that is essentially what we had. We actually had multiple competing private commercial banks issuing currency, over a thousand of them. <laughs> uh, they're all based on gold, of course, because that's the only thing people would accept. But we're in a sense, we are getting back to... Our normal American way of doing things and getting away from this sort of quasi Soviet government monopoly business.
0: But, you know, again, you know, I, even the Bible, you know, it, it always says we're, the poor are always going to be among us, even from back then. So, but the rich get richer. And I see that the middle class is kind of doing this. It's either you have it or you don't have it. So, where do you see the future of? america's economic in the next say three to five years
1: um probably observable trends will continue uh because we haven't got to the point where we make big changes uh but i think it's important to um make plans in your head people always say well you know it's not politically feasible well yeah but when things are politically feasible you better have a plan because you can't just say you know what are we going to do well i'll write a book about it and get back to in two years and then we'll sit around and discuss it <laughs> no that doesn't work you should have an idea of what you want and then maybe the opportunity will come to implement it but for the time being um i, I say a time five to ten year time frame i say a, a roughly around 2030 uh window um there is a substantial risk, a substantial probability that we are not just the United States, but kind of like the whole world is stumbling into this, you know, debt, deficit, sovereign default, uh, money printing pattern that um, it seems like it's kind of starting to accelerate, particularly if you're watching things in Europe and Japan recently.
0: Okay. So now a lot of people that are listening to this are, Vet, I call them entrepreneurs. They're mm-hmm. veterans that are also entrepreneurs. And the cost of goods, like I have a friend, I was in the health and fitness industry for over 30 years. And the cost of creatine at one time was so cheap. Now it's cheaper to buy cocaine than it is to buy uh, creatine. Because we were trying, you know, once he was paying $17,000 for a trailer, now it's like $30,000 a trailer. So what do the business owners uh, today, how do they deal with inflation and how can, what, what are some of the steps they can take to try to get through this rocky spot?
1: Well, there are, for business owners, there are a lot of supply chain type issues going on right now, and, and that's not really has anything to do with monetary stuff. And uh, usually these things are resolved pretty quickly uh, and stuff's back on the shelves, but it seems to be getting worse, not better these days. But in, in terms of but there's also monetary issues going on. The, the value of our currency has declined somewhat, not a whole lot yet. Um, and I'm not sure what's going to happen going forward, but it's not very hard to imagine that things could get a lot more serious. And I think it's I think the thing to do, the thing to do for a business person or anyone really is just to kind of imagine what that means, right? Let me just get through. out. let's just say we're, we just have our crystal ball is one hundred percent right. I can tell you with absolute certainty that within in five years, on April uh, 29, 2027, the value of U.S. dollar will be one tenth of what it is today. You have a tenth cent dollar compared to today. That's all. That's all you know. That's your fortune cookie hint. Well, what well, you know? What does that mean? Well, prices are going to go up a lot. Um, so and just to give you an example, that's what happened in the 1970s. The value of the dollar went down by about 90%, a 10 to one yep. move, but it was stretched over more like 10 years. And I'm talking about five years. Um, you know, what would that mean? Well, the price of gasoline is probably going to go, you know, it's multiplied by 10, you you know, you, all things being equal, you'd be looking at $40 gasoline, uh, realistically people can't pay that amount of money so it wouldn't be 40 bucks because they just kind of like run into the wall of not enough nothing you can't pay for it so but yeah 20 dollars gasoline probably and um wages wouldn't keep up right uh wages wouldn't go up five times to afford your higher gasoline prices but they would be they would be galloping higher um the value of things like bonds or social security or pensions would the real value you know, if you have an annuity and says, oh, you're going to be paid out $50,000 a year in your annuity, well, that would be like $5,000 a day, right? So you're going to get, you're going to, the real value of that, those kind of things would get splattered. Um, so you can just kind of think of it that way. And typically, uh, it has always been true in the past and almost certain to be true in the future is that gold has maintained its value um so that would the, the price of gold so to speak would go up 10 times we'd have $20,000 gold right just because the dollar fell in value nothing has nothing to do with gold it's just the dollar um and things and, and you can kind of you can kind of go down the line like that uh you know food prices would soar higher there'd be issues with that around the world um and, and what would happen to the government then right um it's hard. It's hard to guess. It's hard to guess, but uh, you know, one of the thing, one of the differences between nineteen seventies and today was there really was no debt deficit issue. The the, the budget deficits were not real big. They're like you know one percent of GDP, this kind of stuff. Debt to GDP was you know thirty percent. Now it's like one hundred and twenty percent, and so it was not really like a money printing to finance the government kind of situation. But it's it's easy to imagine how we could get into that situation today. Uh, because, well, you know, who's going to buy the government's bonds when the government itself, you know, devalue the dollar by that much amount of money? Well, maybe nobody. <laughs> so, how is the government going to finance the deficits? Well, it's not. And, um, you know, so there, so anyway, this is how this is how uh governments you no know, one sits around cabinet meetings like, you know what, things are getting kind of boring around here. Let's have hyperinflation, probably be pretty fun. It's like 4th of July with money. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, no, that doesn't I, happen right this it, it, is how it happens like we need to print the money to pay the bills for, for tomorrow and I'll worry about it tomorrow afternoon
0: like you know I grew up in the 70s so I was about eight years seven or eight years old when we had the whole gas crisis and having to you know th- different license plates I mean <laughs> yeah, it license was plates. it got <laughs> stupid for a while uh, and yeah. so but I I think you know but now we got people that are quitting their jobs in droves and still complaining about inflation Wait, you don't have a job so you don't want to work so you can't be too worried about
1: inflation right <laughs> yeah so you know people uh, it, I one of the one of the advantages we've had as Americans we haven't had a lot of, of really nasty money you know 70s was about as bad as it's gotten in all of them since civil war maybe um but latin americans understand this real well because latin america they've they've been through hyperinflation sometimes multiple times in latin america and um so latin americans understand it very well uh so i i think there's kind of like this deficit of understanding among americans um just think about you know latin americans what do you not know that latin americans understand well latin americans know what it's like to to not just have a 10 to one depreciation, but a hundred to one or a thousand to one where it just goes. Kerflooey. Uh, you know, the value of the Mexican peso was, went from 27 in 1980 to the dollar to 27,000 or 2700 in 1990. Um, so that's what hyperinflation is. I mean, that, that's, that's not even like the billion dollar banknote kind of stuff. You know, that's just run of the mill Latin American hyperinflation. um, um you know just think about that what what did what happened to those mexicans during that time and that might happen to you
0: so hopefully we we won't so hopefully we get this stuff straightened out so how do we find you how do we get support you how do we get all your five books so tell us a little bit about that
1: well they're all on amazon uh and, and other you know other similar places all big outlets uh i have a website newworldeconomics.com and, and it's got a tab for books and i've got my five books there uh it gives you a little information about them some reviews and comments and so forth um they're they're all aimed at a general audience they're not real academic ebooks so some of them are pretty pretty chewy i'll admit uh some people really like them um they like that sort of thing um and like I said, uh, we have a have a new book out, Inflation, with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames, and we really wanted to pitch it to. Um, we wanted to put it, give it a tone which said, you know, this is for you. This is not for, you know, policy wonks in D.C. This is for you. So, I hope you get a chance to read it, and enjoy it.
0: Well, for me, like I said, I got it, and I, I'm I'm really enjoying reading it because I really didn't know much about it. So that's why I bought the book. And it's very, uh, it's an easy read. It's very digestible for even for a low tech redneck like me it's so much. Uh, I'm learning so much and I really do love it. So, um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and hanging out. And, uh, I can't wait to see what you guys got coming up next. Cause I think you, you, the three of you guys have the finger on the pulse of what's going on in America today.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Steve Forbes and I have, have, um, been friends for a long time because uh, it's a pretty small crew of people who uh, have a real grip on economics, and for a long time, even since the Reagan era, it's been a little club that's kept America from veering too far off course. <laughs> Not always successful.
0: So, what kind of reactions from people that have picked up the book? What are some of them? What are, what are they saying?
1: Um, it's been real good. Uh, we're happy about it because pe- people feel like. That we were able to take a topic that is clouded with obscurity and like, oh, only experts can understand that because it's too complicated for average people. Well, let me tell you something. The experts actually don't understand it, in my opinion. And But average people can understand it pretty easily. Like I said, it's just the value of your currency falling. It's not that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really all it is, and uh, at least on the monetary aspect, because there really are supply-demand issues these days. Um, And if you can if you can grasp that, then you can take a productive part in public policy and say, yeah, give me that. Give me a currency that doesn't do that like we had before 1971.
0: All right, guys, I love it. So if you guys are when you guys are watching this, leave us a comment on what your thoughts about inflation are, how it's affecting your pocketbook, how it's affecting your life. And we'll definitely get back to you. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey and us being a part of yours leave a comment, make sure you subscribe, make sure you pick up the book, because I think it's a truly amazing read. And if you work a hardworking individual, and you go to catch your check on Friday, and half of the money ain't there, you need to learn why it's not there and pick up this book. And it's truly amazing. Nathan, brother, I want to say thank you. I'm so grateful for you taking the time out today.
1: Thanks, Richard. It's been fun.
0: All right, my friend, well, have an amazing week. And, guys, remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. I love you guys. Talk to you next week. Hey, guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of A K O P T H adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our of for Y L I T H youths living in the hoard. You can connect with Tammy at homes are for living at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at the hoarding solution. So, guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with any kind of hoarding issue. Please reach out to Tammy. She has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.